Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 5, if you would follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. This is the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Good morning. Hopefully, as we continue to press through Colossians verse by verse, almost word by word sometimes, we, uh, at some point, our Bibles are just going to fall open to Colossians. So let's have them open there. Welcome to 2023 again. And uh, I trust that hopefully it's been a good week to get started. We, uh, I've heard this week through some conversations, some folks didn't, haven't started school back yet. Some people were still off this past week, which is great. I think a lot of people were starting to get back into the cadence of uh, work and, you know, commute and things like that. I thought last week's worship time together was awesome. How about you? Can I get an amen on that? Wasn't it fun to be in close proximity at the barn out there? We could hear each other singing. That's one of the most edifying things to me that there is, is to hear the people of God giving praise to God as we open up our hearts and you know, I'm sitting up front this morning, and I could hear you from behind me, and it's just so encouraging to hear us sing and give praise to our Lord. <clears throat> you know, last week we focused on the once where we were, we once were alienated and have been reconciled to Christ, and uh, I was just encouraged this week. <clears throat> some of you shared with me some conversations that have been going on in your home gospel conversation specifically about that text who appears to be bearing fruit in the hearts of some of our young children. It was also encouraging to hear some of you as parents called or, or texted and gave me some insight into some conversations you were having with your children about goals and, and the intentionality of, of looking out ahead and, and looking into the year. And before we get started a little bit further, let's pray and then we'll start working our way into the text. Gracious God, I just ask now as we handle your word, I pray that it would come forth from this page. I just thank you for it. I ask that it would not return void as you do promise. Let it be unhindered now and let it go into our hearts and guide us closer to you in all things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought that was a great text to start with last year. The uh, once were but has now. 
And I think as we started looking towards the year, I wanted to bring forth the thought process around this idea of, of self-reflection and goal setting. And there's this term I'll use some today called intentionality or being intentional. I think that's a good word to think about without our lives and our goals. But not only with a self or me goal theme, but a Christ in me theme. So if we think about setting goals and we look at what's in our text this week that was just read, if you look in verse 27, the mystery which is Christ in you, followed by verse 28, him we proclaim that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So if you look at some of the goals of a minister, it's to see Christ in people and then to see Christ, people mature in Christ. Those are two of the goals. So as we look forward and as we look at our own state and we envision a future state, those are two things that I think we should put out in front of us is Christ in us and maturing in Christ. And so all last week when I talked about these categories of life, spiritual, financial, physical, professional, are those goals you have chosen for yourself moving towards Christ in you and maturity in Christ? If not, then check that goal to make sure that it is oriented towards the ultimate a goal of what Paul had. Now, you know, this time of year, we come through the holidays. It's like things get different, right? The normal cadence is disrupted. It's like a business retreat or a, a retreat or an offsite. Why do you do those things? It's to disrupt the norm so that we can think about it and it clears the mind. And sometimes those things are helpful, as are the holidays. And as we head in here and we start thinking about these goals, a couple points I want to make. If we start thinking about a desired state or where you want to be, one thing I know is that if Christ in me and maturity in Christ are desired states, we don't just land there by happenstance. Have you ever heard anyone say, I just don't know how I got here. I just fell into more holiness. I haven't. My own life experience leads me to believe that terms like fall or drifted almost always are associated with distance from God. See, drift, there's a force, a current. Fall is a force of gravity. I believe that the law, I'm a physicist, the laws of physics should include the sin nature. It's a force away from intimacy with God and towards ourself. As gravity draws people to the earth, our sin nature draws us to exalt ourselves. So we have to work on that. We have to focus on a right relationship with God. And we have to think about how to stay reconciled in a relationship. And we have to think about relationships not in the term of just maintaining, but growing. Growing relationships. Growing in our intimacy with God. Growing in our surrender to God. Growing, And as we relate to God through Jesus Christ, we relate to everyone here on the earth. We're relational beings. We relate to each other through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Our family relationships, our professional relationships, relationships with non-believers, all should be filtered through our relationship to the Lord. And when this is not vertically correct with the Lord, it inhibits our ability to 
have Christ in us and bring that to other people. There's all kinds of ingredients you can put in to grow and maintain relationships, fun, serving together, accomplishing things together, but there's some ingredients like honesty and transparency that are important. There's a willingness to enter into the relationship that's critical too. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. There are things that alienate. Sin. Harshness, pridefulness. Whether that's with a spouse or even with friends. Can create distance. Where we feel like we're in a wasteland. Where we're separated. The point I want to start with right now as we head into this week's text is intentionality. In Scripture, we don't find any license to drift or hit the pause button. We see terms in, used in Scripture like aim for, press on. We see in this week's text struggle, toil, suffer. These are not passive words. These are active words. Now, we're entering a new section of Colossians. We've been in, we had the introduction, and then we saw this establishment of the preeminence of Christ. Now we're entering at verse 24, all the way through 4, 6 is the body of the letter. The first section we're covering today was 24 through 2, 5. But we're only going to cover the first half. If you look at your outline, I have on there two chiastic uh, breakdowns of the passage. There's the bigger breakdown, which is, 124 through 25, but then inside 124 through 25 are two breakdowns. And we're going to cover just the first breakdown about Paul's ministry today, the 24 through the uh, 29 uh, passage. And then I put at the bottom there that uh, when I looked at the, uh, when I looked at this week's text and we were talking about the ministry of Paul and he was called to this joyful, you know, uh, suffering for Jesus Christ, but I said, what are some of the model ingredients for a good ministry? And so I see the call, the joy, and the struggle. We'll cover the goal, and then the how, and then the energy with which it's done, okay? So, we saw earlier when we were just talking about this, and now let's talk a little bit about verse 23. I have to back up. It says, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister, and in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make known the word of God, to make the word of God fully known. Now, think about uh, Philippians, famous passage in Philippians. Uh, remember the passage Paul talks about, all of the qualifications that he had for Judaism? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, as to a law Pharisee. All of those qualities that he possessed. Galatians 1.14 speaks of he stood out among his countrymen being extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions. We know that the robes of Stephen were laid at his feet. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way... He might bring them to Jerusalem. That's in Acts 9. He self-described his behavior in Acts 26. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But then in verse 20, or in 
chapter 26, verse 12, Paul is before Agrippa saying, And in this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. And I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now, when Christ said, it is me you are persecuting, Paul wasn't persecuting the physical presence of Jesus Christ. He was persecuting what? The church. And so this is an important verse as we understand later this idea of filling up Christ's afflictions. But we're talking about this later. See, Christ is identified as being persecuted as his church is persecuted. Now, the very first aspect of ministry is the call. Accepting the call to what God has ordained for you to do. Now, I believe that there's a theme that will flow through today. There's ministry. All of us are called to ministry. Some are called to full-time. Now, Paul embraces this commission. It says he was a steward. Paul says here, I became a steward. Stewardship from God. And back in the ancient days, that was a big office. That was an important job to steward a household, to take care of the financial affairs of someone, to oversee. And Paul was called to steward this commission that God was giving him. Now, these things don't come without challenge or obstacle and downright opposition from the sinful and evil forces of this world. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There is the ministry call to all. Okay? But we see also in places like Titus and in First Peter, some are called to be overseers or deacons or, or uh, evangelists or apostles. Paul was specially commissioned to the Gentiles. A question for you, an application question. Am I stewarding my gifts well for the church and for my Lord? Am I stewarding my gifts well for the church and and for my Lord. There's a big difference between calling and a career. And I do have some concern that in today's day and age that sometimes that can get confused as churches have grown larger and corporate structures and methodologies have crept into different aspects of organization. And sometimes there is certain safety inside of that that might not be if you were accepting a call to a small church where you were going to be the pastor, you know, and the youth guy and the and the, and the, and the, right? We also know that suffering does come. A true minister of the gospel will suffer for the sake of the flock. 
Even though when one accepts a call for full-time ministry, this suffering goes along with it, that doesn't make it easy. But we know in some countries, you would be shunned, you could be outcast, you could be killed physically. Your situation can change just by accepting and naming Jesus Christ. But even today in the Western world, submitting to the ministry comes with a different forms of opposition and suffering, maybe financial capacity or earning potential, complete freedom of location of where to move. Ministry many times happens outside of the corporate world work hours. It happens in the nights and weekends. Satan uses every trick he can to devise and thwart the progress of the gospel. But it's not just opposition for full-time ministers. We know that as we proclaim Jesus Christ, we will receive opposition. Maybe you've experienced it. The prioritization of your life around things like prayer nights and home groups and small groups and serving the Lord will obviously conflict with certain social activities and and things that go on, and you will eventually get cut out and not be asked to be part of those things. But I see it possibly going even further that as we continue to proclaim Jesus Christ and hold to biblical worldview standards, it is highly likely that some of us will become much less promotable, much less electable, and maybe even employable, if at all. I can foresee a time unless God intervenes, where we would be required to sign a litmus test of these kinds of beliefs to be part of certain types of organizations. It's not that far away. It's not that far away. One question is, will we be able to stay in the joy as these challenges come? Our Lord himself said, if we name his name, there will be trouble in John 16. How much more for those who serve him full time? 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Apostle Paul had people desert him, oppose him, beat him, accuse him, take credit from him. But yet he says there is joy in his suffering. Now the second half of this verse. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now this is a hard verse to preach on. Because when you read that, this context of filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, that phrase alone is kind of complicating, right? Because there's, it's been misunderstood and misapplied in a variety of ways. And there is a lot of controversy over this verse. The most immediate pause is that there's some sort of implication that there's something lacking in Christ's sufferings. So what it does not mean is that somehow Christ's atoning work was not sufficient and some human addition is necessary. And we know this because all over Paul's writings are the direct reference to the sole and complete sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice for the atoning work sin. Now, we also did, 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 then did see, though, back in Acts, and even now, we see this idea of suffering, and Christ is suffering as his body suffers, his church. 
So this view could extend to the idea that Paul, as part of the corporate body of Christ and Christ's church, the new covenant people, are to endure trials patterned after Christ's sufferings that could be linked to like that verse I read. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And even onto the idea that there's some sort of time-ordered length of suffering needed within the church before the Lord will return. Like Revelation 6, 9 through 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, how long before you will judge and avenge? So there's this suffering, long-suffering aspect of that verse. So we know that that has an ongoing time element to it. So to summarize, one of the views is that a, a corporate view that the church is destined for suffering because of identification with Christ. And Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And we know that Paul was persecuting the church. And so this is a representation of this. The other view, which is about equal. A lot of times when I read commentaries, you find a view, which is a predominant view, and then you find kind of a secondary view, you know, and then you find a whole bunch of you know, views that you just really don't have to worry about because they're really for the intellectuals. But then this one's a little harder, okay, because really prominent people are kind of, you know, have two different, you know, they kind of hold here, two, two views, and then a bunch fall off. So the other view here is also persuasive that can be made, and this is that somehow... Paul sees his filling up that which is lacking as something unique only to him and his apostolic role on behalf of the church, the unique calling of Paul, that Paul is somehow participating uniquely. We see both examples in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for example, verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So there's this connectivity there of an apostolic suffering and the suffering of the believers. But the tipping of the scale for some people to believe that this is the case of his unique apostolic role is where it's placed. So Colossians chapter 1 Verse 15 through 23 highlights the unique person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, we established his preeminence and his unique office. And then this appears right here. And Paul is now focusing on the unique redemptive role of himself as apostle in 24 through 29. And his unique suffering is potentially a mirror image of Christ. He's not completing an atoning work, but finish this out. There's been a lot of studies about this word structure, and they've found a lot of extra biblical uses of it as well as other uses in other close or scriptural references. And this has a term, it's used most often as achieves, the fullness comes from a source other than the beginning contribution of the original source or in place of its lack. And so this is not an abnormal use of the word that something is completing that was originated somewhere else. So to complete this thought, likewise, so think Christ and Israel, think Paul and Gentiles. Now, I'm going to use some likewise, and for the sake of time, I'm not reading all the references, but I think you can make the connections. The servant was despised and rejected by men. Paul was that. Christ was that. 
The servant is depicted and described as having a marred appearance. The servant was afflicted and severely restricted by God. The servant was punished with stripes. Christ's suffering in his life and atoning work led to reconciliation. Paul's suffering is leading to the reconciliation within the Gentiles being uniquely proclaimed. Now, both views really have valid substance to their analysis, so how do you apply this? From John, we know all believers will potentially be called into persecution and various forms of suffering. And we also know that we will not all be called to the same type of ministry or suffering. And therefore, we'll have unique challenges and suffering to bear. And both of those, if done for Christ, will certainly be good for the church. In this case, it seems that we can see the unique elements that Paul had to undergo in order to fulfill his call on his life, this special commissioning. But we also know that he is a model for us in that while we do not necessarily have his call, we are part of the church and we will be part of the corporate endurance required of the church. Therefore, a question to ask ourselves, will we be able to suffer joyfully and support those in full-time ministry as they suffer for the gospel. Where we are so far, we've seen the call, and we've seen that there's joyful suffering as we focus on Christ. Now what's the goal? Verse 26 and 7 says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God chose to make known how great among The Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And verse 28 says that everyone may be presented mature in Christ. Christ in us, maturity in Christ, the gospel revealed. And we see the sovereignty of God in this verse. It says, to them God chose to make known. Careful reading of the scripture We always see God's sovereign work in the redeeming of the souls. So let's think back to the beginning of the message today. Do our goals that we have set for ourselves move us closer to these goals? Every aspect of those categories should be moving us to Christ in us or maturity in Christ. Verse 25, the how do you achieve those two things? It says, to make the word of God fully known. And in 28, him we proclaim, publicly naming Christ. It is not about general morality or generic references to God. We proclaim Christ. Jesus Christ. This is the Christian distinction. We proclaim Christ. Christ in us. And it starts with us being identified in him, with him. And then we walk consistently in him. We must be striving to be found in him. Warning everyone. Another term for this in this verse is admonishing. NASB and and some other translations use admonish. I like that word better. Warn or reprimand, advise or urge someone earnestly, warn someone of something to be avoided. We proclaim Christ and we warn everyone. We should be quick 
to engage. Not fearful. If we see, remember I talked about being vulnerable earlier, about relationships. We have to warn people, advise, rebuke. We've got to do it in a loving way. But to see and not act is not an option. Applying the Word of God to our own lives and then into the lives of others with advice and warning earnestly with energy. And teaching everyone, connecting the Word of God into all of the things we do or the things we should avoid. Think about this. There's a ministry of training children, whether it's in the home or here through the church. We should train up children in the way they should go. Equipping them with the why behind what we do or don't do. Ensuring that we are pointing them not only to our wishes, but that they see how our wishes for them are grounded in the Word of God to honor Him. We do warn and teach with all wisdom, using our practical discernment and experience, bringing it to bear, our maturity, living in community, allowing others who are mature in Christ or experienced in specific ways. God brings us all through different circumstances for the whole purpose of his tapestry of weaving all of us together in lives as we walk together in Christ. So lastly, where does this energy for all this come from? Verse 29, Paul says, for this I toil. This word means to labor to the point of exhaustion. There is no room for laziness in the Lord. It will never fulfill the calling that we may have. Struggling. This is the word we get our word agonized from. It's used a lot in Greek literature around athletic competitions. It means maximum effort. Leave it on the field, maybe. with all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. This means we must not allow sin and the distractions of this world to take hold and zap our joy and power. There is great power in the walking in agreement with God. But when we walk in sin, it is like having a dead short in the circuit and it drains us of the power. We must fight laziness and make sure that we're fatiguing ourselves with service to the Lord. And not to ourselves. Of course we need to take care of ourselves. And that means we need to do recreation and rest and fun. But the most important source of energy for Christ is our spirit alive in us. And so we must be careful not to quench the spirit. We must be careful to stay physically strong and healthy. So as to be able to toil and struggle for our Lord. Toiling with his energy, not burning out. Being available to be served at times. Allowing others. If we don't ever allow others to help us in any way, that robs the body. And sometimes it establishes self-confidence. And that can lead to overconfidence. Remember I was talking about living in community and being honest and vulnerable. Some practical applications now. I was going to read this at the beginning, but I didn't, and uh, I think I have time, by Steve Farrar, it's called Finishing Strong. Uh, I bring this up. How many people have ever heard of uh, Chuck Templeton, Bron Clifford, anybody, Billy Graham, Have you heard of Billy Graham, raise, raise your hands, all right. 
Chuck Templeton and Braun Clifford, if you go back and look at uh, newspaper articles and things being going on at the time when all three of these men were starting in their ministries, were actually more well thought of and more wrote about than Billy Graham. They were all evangelists, all starting out. And there's many articles written about them. In 1945, all three came shooting out of the starting blocks like rockets. Why have you not heard of Bron Clifford and Chuck Templeton? Just five years later, Templeton left the ministry to pursue a career as a radio and television commentator and newspaper columnist. Templeton had decided he was no longer a believer in Christ. What about Clifford? By 1954, he had lost his family, his ministry, his health, his alcohol and financial irresponsibility left him in Amarillo in a hotel room where he died. John Bisogno has been pastoring First Baptist Church of Houston for a number of years. When John was just about to finish college, he was having dinner at his fiancé's house. After supper, he was talking with his future father-in-law, Dr. Paul Beck. Dr. Beck had been in ministry for years. And it was towards this the conversation inevitably turned. John, as you get ready to enter the ministry, I want to give you some advice, Dr. Beck told the younger man. Stay true to Jesus. Make sure that you keep your heart close to Jesus every day. It's a long way from here to where you're going to, and Satan's in no hurry to get you. The older man continued, It's been my observation that just one out of ten who start out in full-time service for the Lord at 21 are still on track by the age of 65. They're shot down morally. They're shot down with discouragement. They're shot down with liberal theology. They get obsessed with making money. But for one reason or another, nine out of ten fall out. Bisogno told how he went home, took one of those blank pages in the back of his reference Bible, wrote down the names of 24 young men who were his peers and contemporaries. These were young men in their 20s who were sold out for Jesus Christ. They were trained for ministry and burning in their desire to be used by the Lord. Bisogno relates the following with a sigh. Now, this book was written in 1995. This guy would have been 53 at the time. There were a lot of these books being written around in the early 90s, men's books, you know, Point Man and Finishing Strong. He says, I am now 53 years old, and from time to time, as the years have gone by, I've had to turn back to the page of my Bible and cross out a name. I wrote down those 24 names when I was 20 years of age. 33 years later, there are three names remaining of the original 24. John MacArthur relates a story of being asked by a man who was at a conference about his father. He said, your dad was here and his father, years before in Scotland, had had a significant impact upon that man's life. And he asked John MacArthur, is your father still in ministry? And he said, yes, he is. And then he said, by the way, the other two men that were with him, he said, are they still laboring in the Lord as well? And Dr. MacArthur said, regretfully, I must say, one died of an alcoholic and the other renounced the faith. Now, is Christ in me? Am I maturing in Christ? What examples would I give or point to to justify my answer? That'll be on your application questions this week, by the way. So. 
you get a head start. What is my ministry? Am I proclaiming Christ to others? Am I maturing Christ in others? Is there joy in my ministry? The qualities of a minister, as example here by Paul, are qualities we should be looking for in our senior pastor. And we should be praying daily for God to bring us a man whom he feels he has called. That demonstrates joy in his work. And that includes when it's hard and when there is suffering. Is able to realize fruit in the flock. Christ in people. And see maturity in Christ. Can effectively execute the commission of making the word of God fully known. Proclaiming Christ. Admonishing as necessary. And teaching in all wisdom. And lastly, it's got to be someone who toils and labors in the strength of the Spirit and not in the strength of the flesh. Now, all these qualities can apply to the full-time minister of God. But can't they also apply to us? I think so. We've been entrusted with children, women's ministries, men's ministries. How about just loving each other well? See, you can't even get out of that, right? Admonishing each other and teaching each other and building our relationships up. So, come full circle here. The first section, 24 through 29, as you look through there, hopefully as you look back through this, you can see some of these traits of the minister that Paul was and the things that Paul endured. And we know Paul finished strong. So it would be my great hope that we collectively come together as a body and hold each other accountable so that we're all finishing strong. Every one of us want to be crossing that line. Fatigued for our Lord. Well done. Good and faithful servant. We do all want to hear, I believe. But we can't do it alone. We've got to do it in community. And that's next week. We're going to talk about how they reached the full assurance of understanding and how God, Paul was doing this to protect them from being deluded from plausible arguments and things like that. So my last final challenge, pray daily for us as we search for a pastor but pray daily for us, each other, as we desire to finish strong and proclaim Jesus Christ in all things that we have, in all aspects of our lives. Let's pray. Merciful God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your example of Paul. I pray that as we read that word, we read about him, let some of that manifest itself in us. And I ask, Lord, that you would generate the energy in us in order to be a proclaiming people, a toiling people for your glory, and that you would receive what we offer with thanksgiving. It's in your name we pray. Amen.